You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Sanders. And we have a truly spectacular episode for you all this week. We're going to go deep on two apex predators. First, the cocaine bear from that movie called Cocaine Bear. And then another hunter, Penn Badgley's character Joe Goldberg in the Netflix erotic thriller You. There's a whole conversation to be had about the state of sex on screen. And we're going to have that conversation through you and through Penn Badgley's character Joe Goldberg. But first, I mean, first, Cocaine Bear. I saw this movie yesterday. It exceeded my expectations beyond my wildest dreams. And I am truly honored, thrilled, and excited to have the writer of this movie with me right now in this podcast. Jimmy, hi. How are you? What's up, Sam? Thanks for having me. I got to say, I went to see your movie uh, yesterday, Tuesday of this week. Um, And let me tell you who loves Cocaine Bear. The Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in downtown Los Angeles. They have gone all in on the marketing, on the promotions. There are Cocaine Bear posters and visuals everywhere. There was like a special Cocaine Bear teaser video before the movie started. They love y'all. Uh, I'm so bummed I didn't catch that. Actually, I was there on Saturday um, with some of the producers introducing the movie, and um, it was rowdy. No, it's 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 been so cool to see everybody involved with and watching this movie lean into every single bit of cocaine bareness. I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> I like it. It's good. It's good. Um, I got so many questions for you. But to start, I guess I want you to confirm this for me. I heard you found the cocaine bear story on Twitter and that there's actually some truth to the story of the cocaine bear. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, um, I was a couple decades late to the party, but yeah, I found it on Twitter and then, you know, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole where you just, I just couldn't stop clicking links to give me all the information possible. And I found this story on Andrew Carter Thornton, who was a drug runner and, you know, he was dropping duffel bags of cocaine uh, into the Chattahoochee National Forest for, you know, his partners in crime <laughs> to, 
<laughs> of course he was. <laughs> to, uh, to pick up and, you know, a black bear got into it. The bear, it fucking did cocaine. A bear did cocaine. And, you know, I thought, wow, that is an insane premise for a movie. So I wrote it. In the original, the the actual story, the cocaine bear, the real-life cocaine bear in Tennessee, he ingests the cocaine and then, like, dies within 30 seconds, right? Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. And, you know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know that much, but I know as a screenwriter that, um, you know, a bear dying three minutes into the movie would make for a very short... Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> short movie. We don't want that. Yeah, and also a bummer. Yeah. What was the hardest sell with this movie? Getting someone to greenlight a film with this as a premise or getting a studio to actually let you call it Cocaine Bear? You know, surprisingly, neither were that tough of a of a sell. It was Oh really? It, yeah, it was the type of thing where I I wrote the script thinking that it was never going to be anything that somebody would make. So I I wrote the script, I passed it to a friend of mine who's a producer on the movie named Brian Duffield, and he gave it to the uh, good people at Lord Miller, the production company, and it felt like they walked it into the studio and then it was sold within, you know, a couple weeks, which definitely, Did that def- surprise you? definitely surprised me. It still surprises me. What do you think that says about the state of the industry? You know, I think that they were just hungry... Um, for, and Universal's like this. I mean, they've put out a bunch of original movies. Well, they did Megan, right? Yeah, they did Megan, and they they also just did Violent Night. And they take swings, man. I mean, it's just, it's pretty awesome to see. Yeah. And, like, I appreciate that. I don't like movies at this point in my life after, you know, three years of pandemic and lockdown. I don't want to go to a theater and watch a film that takes itself too seriously unless it's, like, Lydia Tar level. Right. Otherwise, give me some cocaine bear energy, man. I think we need a crossover. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. Oh, my God. What is, what is the cocaine bear Lydia Tar crossover from your lips to God's ears? Tell us what this is. Well, too, funny enough, I was just talking to one of the producers, Adithia, who sent me a text message just out of the blue that only said cocaine bar, and it was, it was B-A with a... <laughs> AR. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's what it would be. Maybe it, uh, you know, goes to a concert hall and is trapped inside. <laughs> or Lydia Tarr to get in character to conduct a piece all about a bear, dresses up like a bear while conducting, does a bunch of cocaine before the symphony orchestra starts. And then she's like on a bender and she starts like mauling the symphony. Uh, I would... That's too much. I, no, I don't think that... That's how these ideas are <laughs> formed. There's a, you, can't go, you can't go overboard. You got to just keep one-upping people. I love that. Lydia Tarr is the cocaine bear. Right. Bam. Let's do it. Let's go to Berlin. You and me. We'll do it. Let's play a game. Uh... Mr. Cocaine Bear, we do a game on this show every week called Into It, Not Into It. 
And basically, we bring up three or so stories from the week of pop culture and ask our guests if they're into it or not. At the end, I declare them winners or losers based on how much I like their opinions. Uh, but because I love cocaine bear so much and the whole team and into it loves this movie so much you pause there <laughs> no, I do, because I, do. I love cocaine bear so much <laughs> <laughs> because i love cocaine bear so much we have uh, crafted a special all bear edition of into it not into it we'd love to play with you right now hell yeah let's do it so basically i'm going to call out famous bears, and you just tell me if you're into them or not and why. Here we go. Winnie the Pooh, into it or not into it? Into it. Why? I love his little belly and the shirt that's a little too short. Um, great energy. Uh, always a smile on his face. <laughs> I mean, how can you not be into Winnie the Pooh? And with a name like that. I am more into the new horror version of Winnie the Pooh. You should be close now. We're not going to find them. We will. Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore. We were friends for many years, and they're out there. So apparently the IP has been around long enough to where anyone can use Winnie the Pooh, like, in fair use. And now there's going to be a horror movie in which Winnie the Pooh is, like, a murderous villain. I'm all about that version of Winnie the Pooh. I know. I cannot wait to see that have movie. You, have you talked to that team? No, Since I Since you I both haven't. have made bear horror films? <laughs> no. Okay. no, I haven't, but maybe there's a, a collab in the making. <laughs> All right. The Berenstain Bears, into it or not into it? You know, I am going to say not into it, but... Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Why not? You know what? Again, I'm not sure I'm qualified to say why I'm not into it, but I feel like there was some, there was a, a little bit of a scandal with the Berenstein Bears. I can't remember quite what it is, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to say it on a, on a podcast, but honestly, I, I used to read those books all the time, um, so I was into it, and then I just recently read something um, again, I don't want to start a rumor in case it's not true. Oh, please start it. Please start it. Please start it. <laughs> I really, what did you read? I, 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 will, I refuse to start that rumor. I will say, and no one is telling me to say this, I would watch a dark villainous origin story of the Berenstein slash Berenstain bears in which they're actually horrible. I'd watch that show. I'd watch that show. Yeah, just terrible, terrible bears. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right, next. Are you into or not into the bear from The Revenant? Into it. Are you kidding? Why? Well, Why? Um, I mean, I love, I love me some Leo, but that scene is so visceral and awesome, and it's just, like, implanted in my head. I can't... I, I, can say with uh, full confidence that that was a big influence on on this okay. movie. You know, just how violent that was. I'm into it. But the question is, here's here. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'll ask you a question. Who wins in a fight? Cocaine bear. Cocaine bear or the revenant bear? Right. Oh, pff, cocaine bear. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. I knew I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you into? 
or not into, Jimmy, Bear Grylls. Here's something embarrassing about Bear Grylls. Oh, give it to me. Let's go. I've never seen an episode. You don't need to. You kind of get how it works. You kind of get How it. does it work? He's just this outdoorsman who can, like, make something out of nothing. You drop him anywhere in the world, and before you know it, he's, like, made a knife out of a tree and is eating a raw snake, and he's built a fire. He's like Also, he's kind of fun to look at. He's like, yeah, he's the hot guy that you would want to be stranded on a, you know, an island with, exactly. right? Like, the last exactly. person in the world. And the only thing I can do is to drink my own pee. And this is something I've never done before. And I'm expecting it to be pretty horrible. But I need to keep those... What about you? Are you into him? Uh, I'm into him. I remember watching... Remember, like, when, like, Obama was just everywhere before he left the White House? There was, like, a special episode of Bear Grylls' show with Barack Obama. So a bear has chewed on this sucker. Yeah. But we're going to cook it up, so it's going to be good. All right. I've seen some of the things Bear eats. I think uh, a piece of salmon, that'll work just fine. Oh, I heard a little sizzle there. Yeah, that's yeah. And I was like, this is peak whatever the hell this is. But I like it. And they were kind of fun together. I was like, oh, I would watch that buddy film. Bear Grylls and Barack Obama outside. <laughs> so I'm into it. <laughs> uh, you're just full of movie ideas. I, th- listen, I'm in the wrong profession. <laughs> yeah, come on over here to the dark side. Are you into or not into the TV show, The Bear? Uh, completely into... The Bear. I thought that that was some of the best uh, filmmaking of the year. That episode where it's all one shot was so great. How good was like that? Like the fight in the kitchen. Oh my God, it was really good. Ibra, make sandwiches. Don't stop making fucking sandwiches. Yes, sir. I'm going to make three sections, okay? They're going to be wet, hot. And also, I'm a Chicago guy from Chicago. Okay. So... Totally into it. Yo, sweet bag, Sharpie, label that shit, please, chef. Yes, chef. Are you into or not into Paddington Bear? Um, I am totally into Paddington Bear. Am I getting? Am I too into everything? Am I going to lose this game? You know what? It's okay. It's okay. I mean, honestly, let me just be real with you here. You're not going to lose just for the mere fact that you made Cocaine Bear, <laughs> and we enjoyed it so much. No matter what you say at this point, you've won. Then what because are, you gave us cocaine bear. And what are the stakes? Oh, there's no stakes, no prize, no nothing, man. Oh, man. I mean, you can go and tell your friends you want a fake podcast game. Feel free. Um, I will do that. <laughs> and, and for Paddington, I mean, I hate to just say that I'm into bear because I did this with Winnie the Pooh for their, their outfits. But, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that outfit. Gummy bears. The TV show theme song, the techno song, the candy, any iteration of gummy bears. Into it or not into it? I am a, um, I have a, a giant sweet tooth. In fact, while on set for Cocaine Bear, I, you could often find me at craft services trying to find any, <laughs> any candy. And I would, I'm, I love, I it. love Haribo gummy bears and I tried to get. Oh yeah, buddy. I tried to get Universal to do a, um, and by tried I mean I thought about it and didn't do, and it didn't think <laughs> didn't think to text anyone or email anyone. But what I would have loved is if they did like a sugar coated white um, cocaine Sorry. bear version <laughs> Haribo gummy bear. <laughs> and handed them out. Wait, what? That would have been amazing. That's my dream. That would have been amazing. 
I had a bunch more questions for the game for you, but as I already said, you've already won. You have won the game this week, our special bear edition of Into It, Not Into It. Congratulations. And what do I win? Oh, that was it. <laughs> but congratulations. I'll, I'll take it. My last question for you. You have to make another movie about a wild animal on drugs. Not cocaine bear. Okay. What is the new animal and what is the new drug? Ah, uh, you know, I've been hearing what's what's so fun about this premise is that um, recently in the headlines, like before we were coming out, there was that story about how all that cocaine was dropped in, into an ocean. So, you know, it became a joke of maybe this is the spinoff cocaine shark. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and that's been such a, a joy to kind of watch the internet go crazy and come up with their own ideas for what these other things are. So I've seen like ketamine koala or like <laughs> marijuana mongoose, like all that kind of stuff. People are, people are digging the alliteration. Um, marijuana mongoose, that's a winner. Yeah, so I get sent all of these ideas about you know how to blend one one drug with a different animal. I think at a certain point we could just make, you know, an animal kingdom. Almost do like the Lion King. At that first scene where you see like the giraffes <laughs> and the buffalo poke their heads up and stuff like that. And they're all just high AF. Yeah. <laughs> and that, they're just poking their heads up after doing a line of coke. <laughs> Jimmy Warden, screenwriter of Cocaine Bear, thank you so much for this delightful chat and for making what I believe is going to really be one of the most enjoyable films of this year. It already is for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Also, listeners, before we go to break, if you like this show and want to support it, we could use your help. Do not send us bears. Do not send us cocaine. Just subscribe to Intuit on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a rating, review us on Apple Podcasts, and most importantly, tell your friends about this show. Word of mouth is the best way to help us, and every little bit helps. We appreciate y'all. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing because like who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. Have you watched the latest season of You? On Netflix, it's that sexy drama about a handsome, hopeless romantic sociopath who kills a lot of people for love. Penn Badgley is said sociopath, and part two of season four drops next week. Devoted viewers like myself will notice a bunch of new things about this season. New location, London. New genre, murder mystery. Also new, the actors are taking their clothes off a lot less than before. This is happening on you, while at the same time, people are noticing there's maybe less sex on screen in general right now, like across the board. And the sex we are seeing, it's not so good. I have been closely following the entire critical debate about all of this, because that's my job. And um, I want to talk about it. So to get into you and sex on screen in the year 2023, we have the wonderful Jessica Goldstein, So, Jess, I think the best way to introduce you is to say that you have quite possibly one of the best jobs at Vulture right now. You are (laughs) Vulture's resident you expert. You are recapping this season. You get paid to watch Pin Badgley be hot and kill people. It's true. And I've been doing that from day one since it was on (laughs) Lifetime. Wow. Wow. Did you ask for this job? Was it given to you? How can I get it next season? (laughs) This job was given to me, and I remember watching the pilot and saying, like, I think I can recap this, but I just hope you know that I can't tell if it's great or terrible or, like, if it's just camp. (laughs) But I'm very happy that we took that leap because it is an extremely fun show to recap. How do we describe this show for people who haven't watched it yet? And if you haven't watched it yet, you're wrong. You is about a man who has absorbed every single sort of pop cultural fantasy idea about what true love and romance is, but also he's a psychopath. (laughs) I know what it's like to be in love with you, Beck. This is not what love looks like. 
This isn't how love behaves. This is the work of a sick mind. Let's call it what it is, perversion. Now I understand why Peach is setting you up for failure. She's not threatened by you. She's obsessed with you. And um, the show is also like 75% voiceover. And it's just, um, it's Penn Badgley of Gossip Girl fame. Very low voice, very low voice, just talking to you the whole series. This extremely like deep, sultry register, just, I think intentionally, of course, luring you in to think that he's like very charming and enticing and then twisting it around um, to reveal that he is completely fucking nuts. So this show is now in its fourth season. Half of the fourth season is out right now. The other half, the last five episodes of season four come out, I want to say next week. Um, you are recapping this new season. There are some changes. Joe, Pin Badgley's character, is in London. Mm-hmm. It's kind of turned into a whodunit. From what you've seen so far of this season, the first five episodes, give it a grade. How do you like it? Oof. Well, I should say, I've seen the whole thing, but I won't. Ah, don't spoil it. Don't you dare. Okay. Oh, I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be mean, but I will say (laughs) this season is not, it's not hitting for me as previous seasons have. What do you think? I think. I'm having to spend a lot of time thinking about this new cast of characters in London when all I really want to think about is the character of Joe, you know? And so, like, I see what they're trying to do, but all I really need is Penn Badgley and that low voice and that symmetrical face being crazy. That's all I need. (laughs) You know what else? I get the sense that, and I don't know this for a fact, but, you know, the previous seasons of the show take place in these environments that you could tell the writers knew very deeply. And so the people that they were satirizing, they came from this place of really hard-won intel about who are the insufferable Brooklynites, who are the insufferable Angelinos, who are the insufferable residents of Madre Linda. And so those, those satires were so sharp. And their London characters, I truly feel like the only thing they know about London is that there's a Soho house there. (laughs) So this is what a 25,000 pound a year membership will get you. The gorgeous, the hip, and the spoiled wearing real fur to drink in Instagram-friendly lighting. Even smells rich in here. You know what, though? In spite, though, of this season not being as good as the previous ones, I do still like it. But I want to talk not just about whether the new season of you is good or bad or a hit or not. I want to talk about how you right now plays into this larger conversation about sex on screen. Um, There's been this simmering debate amongst the TV and movie, I guess, critical class about whether TV and film is becoming unsexed. Like, not enough sex on screen these days. And you, as a part of this conversation, because Penn Badgley famously has talked about how for season four of You, he's wanted to do Less sex scenes. I mean, I asked uh, Sarah Gamble, creator of the show, can I just do no more intimacy scenes? This is actually a decision I'd made before I took the show. I, I, you know, before I took one of the reasons that I've, I've, I don't think I've ever mentioned it publicly, but but it's one of the main things is like, do I want to put myself back in a career path where I'm just always a romantic lead? It's really important to me to to like fidelity in my in every relationship and especially my marriage is important to me and and um yeah it just got to a point where i don't want to do that so how much less can you make it was my question to them 
And so for this new season of You, we're seeing less sex, and we're also seeing every person in every sex scene have their clothes on. Um, It's kind of a big deal, no? This show is built around the whole sexy serial killer motif. Yeah, it's it's an interesting challenge for the show. I mean, part of me is on the side of, I think it's great that actors are able to state their boundaries and be respected at work. And just because he signed a contract several years ago, whatever's going on in his life where what he used to feel comfortable with, he doesn't feel comfortable with anymore. Um, I certainly, I certainly can see how you'd want to change your mind about that over time. I think that describing intimacy on screen as infidelity, that to me is a conflation that I would be shocked if many other people in his profession shared that. I mean, for instance, Meryl Streep's been married a long time. Do I think that every time she's kissed somebody or had sex in a movie, she thinks, I can't believe I get to cheat on my husband right now just so I can win an Oscar? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's interesting. And it's also like, I don't know, I wonder... Does it actually change the show at all? You know, I'm watching season four, and yes, the clothes are on for the sex scenes. There are fewer sex scenes, but I watched this new season, and it still feels pretty erotic. He is still a very, very handsome man. He is still talking in that low, smooth, serial killer voice. Did it change the feel of this show for you, seeing the less sex of it all in this new season? Honestly, I don't think so. I mean, I think... um the stuff that makes the show sexy isn't always the sex scenes. It's about tension and desire, sometimes more than actually seeing people have sex. And like, if you think about other shows from the recent past that we considered really sexy, if you think about a show like Scandal, sometimes the sexiest stuff on Scandal was just, they'd like breathe in each other's faces. Eye contact, literally, yeah. Yes, (laughs) they'd just be like, hi. And you're like, oh my God. Mr. President. I like that. Say it again. Mr. President. So then, why do you think, because there was a good week or two of discourse around the pin badly and sex or no sex of it all, why are we so into this conversation right now? Not just with pin and with you, but writ large in this conversation about if there is enough sex on screen. I think it's arriving at, there's like a collision of a few big cultural discourse stories happening. One is we have this reevaluation post Me Too of Mm. how sex and intimacy was handled on movie sets, on TV sets. Many people coming forward to say that scenes that you you might have thought that I enjoyed that, but I was coerced into doing that. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. And so I think that there's a, it's possibly something of like an, I don't want to call it an overcorrection, but there's certainly a reaction to that where I think people are, Um, they're being careful in the opposite direction as a response to that. So I think that's part of what's going on. I also think it, um, it arrives at the same time as we've been having this bigger conversation about like, why are there no more movies for adults? Yeah. Well, and I, and what I find so crazy about the whole sex on screen debate right now, the characters only get more hot and more ripped. (laughs) But then they just have less sex on screen or are just less erotic and sensual on screen. You see every person that's a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point, they're Greek gods, you know? And then you watch them in these movies, 
they're unsexed. They're unsensual. It's this weird juxtaposition. And I got to say, as a consumer, I don't like it. You know, I don't need to see, like, hardcore sex scenes on screen. But I do admire when sensuality and sexuality is treated tastefully in a TV or a film and made for an adult to consume. So I'm mad about it. How do you feel personally as someone who watches TV for a living about whatever the state of sex is on screen right now? Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, I think that it's just really rare to see intimacy and sexuality depicted on screen in a way that feels human and interesting. And so I think that it's great to move away from, again, a pre-Me Too sense of people just being exploited and it's just about being hot. Um, But that's... If the point if the point of art is to reflect life and to talk about the human experience fully, this is a pretty big slice of the human experience to leave on the table. And to your point, I'm sure you've read it. There was this fantastic essay in Blood Knife about what you're talking about, the marvelification of bodies. That's called Everyone is Beautiful and No One is Horny. And it was just about <laughs> just about these bodies that become so chiseled. They essentially don't look human anymore. And they they are so obviously the result of a denial of appetite, whether that's a denial of appetite for food or a denial of appetite for like a normal life, because clearly those bodies can only be made by spending untold hours in a gym. And you're you're not engaging in pleasure. And so the bodies advertise an absence of pleasure. And so I think that's part of what you're reacting to when you see those bodies and you're like, technically, yes, but actually, no. It's like, you don't look like somebody who would have a beer with me. You don't look like someone who I could eat pizza with. You don't look like somebody I could really be with because you don't look like a person anymore. Exactly. Well, and it's, it's pretty stark. So, you know, there's a distinction to be made between movies and TV, but in terms of movies, the blacklist Kate Hagen found that less than 1% of movies released in 2022 feature a sex scene at all. Wow. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you think it's better or worse on TV compared to film? And also that line continues to blur. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that... um... You know, on TV, it's like we have these pockets. You have like HBO. Like you have places that kind of their marquee thing is that they'll offer something that you can't get on regular TV. But I'm trying to think about it now. Like even on The White Lotus, it's a sexy show, but there's actually not a lot of sex. But it's dysfunctional sex. And it's also dysfunctional sex. So there's this really interesting piece about all of this in The Atlantic written by a writer named Sophie Gilbert. And she points out that... The shows on TV that seem to have the most sex also kind of show the most dysfunctional sex. The White Lotus, Euphoria, Mm -hmm. Succession, Industry. They're not having good sex. They're not having fulfilling sex. It's like cringe sex. What is that about? It's so true. I I watched watched so much Euphoria um, when I was, I profiled Sydney Sweeney a while back. And so I was like very focused on, on this exact question. And I'm like, this show is actually the best way to get teens to practice abstinence because no one looks like they're having fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's wild. I guess, I I mean, we probably can't answer this question in this chat, but I will ask, what does it say about us, about the culture, about the industry that we exist in this space right now when it comes to sex on screen? What does it say about us? I don't know if this answers just that question, but I thought of one more kind of reason why 
we don't see a lot of sex scenes. And I think yeah. it's because we code yeah. and and let's put sex on one side and violence on the other in terms of okay. adult content. Okay. Part of it's like an American thing where we think violence is cool and awesome and sex is like gross and bad. But I also mm-hmm. think that sex is coded as feminine. It's like part of romance and huh. violence is masculine. And so it's more prestigious. And so if you think about the kind of movies that people make when they want to win an Oscar or the kind of TV shows that people make when they want to win an Emmy and the idea of what constitutes prestige, they make a war movie, right? They make a movie Mm. about war. They make a movie about Mm. something typically, a sports movie, like a boxing movie. And that doesn't mean that those movies have no romance in them. They usually like Mm -hmm. Trojan horse some romance in there, but that's Mm -hmm. not like the main event. Whereas... Stories it's that like are Top about Gun Maverick. Love. Like, yeah, like we have Jennifer Connelly in that movie with Tom Cruise. She's a love interest, yes. but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't exactly. really matter. It's about the planes. You could cut the love story out of those movies and it would make absolutely no difference whatsoever. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I think that, yeah, there's, if you're thinking about like, what is the incentive to do this? Um, you're making something that people, unfortunately, I think incorrectly, will not take as seriously um, it won't be mm. seen. It's seen as like smutty and it's seen as girly, um, huh. especially a sex scene that's actually good, like a sex scene yeah. that is about vulnerability and intimacy and everybody feeling good is like that's, uh, again, to our to all of our great misfortune that is coded as like girl shit. Hmm. You know, there was a really interesting point that Sophie Gilbert wrote in her piece about the death of the sex scene for The Atlantic. She says, you know, if TV and movies aren't embodying or showing us, you know, good sex, the only other place that we like learn how to do sex from the culture is through porn. And that's not ideal. You know, so it's like there's almost this like vacuum. And if you don't see positive depictions of sex in a movie, in a TV show, you might have to just look to porn for guidance. And that's going to lead all of us to places that just might not be good for any of us. You know, totally. I totally agree. It's porn or I guess there's probably there are lo- there are lots of like sex educators on TikTok. But if you think about okay. who's, but what's getting consumed the most, it's not niche sex educators on TikTok. It's definitely exactly, exactly, exactly. So do you think we should be having these two conversations together? And if so, how do we do it best? Like, is Penn Badgley and his discussion of sex scenes or no sex scenes, is it really connected to this larger debate and discussion? And if so, how should I square the two? I think that the Penn Badgley comment is accidentally just getting attached to a larger cultural moment. It's not totally separate from that, but I almost see his comment as being more, in the most generous reading of it, it's about being more transparent about boundaries at work. And it's about people, particularly actors, who I think are made to feel like if they're not always compliant and always down for everything, they'll never get hired. It is Mm. sort of setting a model for like, actually, you can say no to stuff. Like, I don't think it's fair to put this larger conversation that we're having about how disappointing and frustrating and um, kind of juvenile it is that there's so little sex and good sex in mainstream pop culture on, like, the shoulders of one person who has decided that for his own personal reasons, it's just something he would rather not do. Yeah, yeah. Where are you seeing the best sex on TV right now? 
Oh my God, that's such a good question. Do you have an answer to this? Let me think about it for a second. I'm trying to think. I'm actually re-watching Girls right now, so it's very funny oh, to be having this conversation. you and all my friends. <laughs> you and all my friends. That's why I had to. It's so much... Sorry, this is probably not super relevant for this, but it's so it's much okay. better now to watch it that I'm not the same age as the girls on Girls. Like, I have much better <laughs> emotional distance yeah. from all of their bad decisions. Yeah. I'll say this. The best depiction of the reality of sensuality that I've seen in the last several years probably has to be Pin 15. This is a teenage coming-of-age drama where the two leads uh, are adults who play teenagers, and their co-stars in many scenes are teenagers. And it's just all about the awkwardness of like figuring out your body when you're 12 and 13 and that first kiss with the braces and how everything is just strange and weird. He put his lips like all the way around mine. Ew. And like sucked. (laughs) I found it to be a refreshingly honest depiction of sex on screen. Pin 15. Yeah, and I think because of the creative limitations of the rest of the cast being children, they exactly. they, end up they doing couldn't these go really too far. Cool workarounds, yeah. Oh, you know what else had great what? Well, of course, Fleabag, and talk about a show where some of the sexiest stuff is not having sex; is just like talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and Starstruck. Did you watch Starstruck? I didn't. Which one is that? Okay, Starstruck is on HBO. Rose Mantefeo, phenomenal stand-up comedian, and the premise is that she has a an unwitting one night stand with a guy who she realizes in the morning is like a very famous actor. And, and then they sort of try to, they try to date. And so it's like this, um, like a modern British rom-com and it's so good. And part of what's so good about it is they talk about, um, they talk about sex with like real humanity. There's this great, great moment in the show where, They've already had sex and now they're on this date and he's like, do you want to come up? And she's like, I have my period. And he goes, oh, for the first time. time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's very funny. It actually made me laugh. I usually find men funny. So um, it's a real win for you. (laughs) And I just just wanted to flag it because sometimes people can be a bit... You do know I'm an adult man, don't you? And it's like, oh, it's so great. Just like the... Okay. It gives good banter. I love it. I love it. Jess, tell folks where they can find you and your work. You can find my recaps of you um, for Pulitzer Contention on Vulture.com. And you can read my other culture musings in The Washington Post and in Washingtonian Magazine. For Pulitzer Contention. Listen to that, folks. (laughs) Where is the Pulitzer for recaps? I claim it it right now. I speak it into (laughs) existence. Jess, this was delightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Culturegeist. Culturegeist. You're listening to Culturegeist. Culturegeist. I don't know, y'all. And now to a segment we're calling Culture Geist About all the things we can't stop thinking about The culture that's haunting you Haunting me Haunting all of us For better or worse
Hi, Sam. My name is Maureen, and my culture geist is Kendrick Lamar's dancers on the song Die Hard on his last tour. At the show, I was drinking and shouting and yelling and cheering the whole show until the choreography on this particular song's refrain stunned me into silence. As the lyrics of the refrain are playing, I hope I'm not too late to set my demons straight. I hope you see the God in me. I hope you can see. I hope I'm not too late to set my demons straight. Behind Kendrick are five dancers in single file in these flowy, sheer, ethereal red dresses, and they're almost aggressively bringing their chests forward and back with the beat, and it just had me in complete awe. Now that song is on repeat in my house and I often have to stop and pull up the video just to see those dancers again. I hope you'll check it out. Hi Sam, this is Bobby from Charlotte, North Carolina. My culture guys this week has been the new EP that Kelsey Ballerini dropped on Valentine's Day called Rolling Up the Welcome Mat. I got engaged a few weeks ago And my fiancé and I spent our first Valentine's Day as an engaged couple, not doing all the annoying lovey-dovey stuff that I expected, but instead listening to this insanely incredible divorce album. And it may sound completely crazy to obsess over a divorce album while we're planning our own wedding, uh, but to be honest, there's nothing that gays love more than clapping back at your ex through some just wonderful wordplay. It hurts putting shit in the box, and now we don't talk. And it's things rolling up the welcome mat, knowing you got half. I can't say it's going to make its way onto any of our playlists at the wedding, but maybe we'll sneak it in somehow in the vows. Hi Sam, my name is Kay and this is my culture geist. So in Atlanta, where I live, there's the Beltline, which is a public greenway space for folks to walk around on. And there are many reoccurring characters and people who appear on the Beltline. And one of them is this guy who will show up in a fedora and smoking jacket with a cigar and a bottle of red wine and a boombox. And he'll just play music for folks as they walk by. And he's honestly just the vibe. Like, he is so great. And his song choices are you so awesome. He plays a lot of violin and piano covers of popular songs. He also has been playing a lot of Luther Vandross and Anita Baker. However, lately, our Beltline DJ has been into House Party by Sam Hunt. Now, 
Don't get me wrong. It's not the worst song. You're on the couch, blowing up my phone. But you don't want to come out. But you don't want to be alone. He's been playing it over and over and over again. He has it now on loop, and I think he's really, really into that song. We'll have a Just not into it. Let's go back to Luther Vandross' "Never Too Much," Anita Baker's "Sweet Love." It's now become a joke among our friends that if we're bored or if there's a song stuck in our head, it's "House Party" by Sam Hunt, and. I just hope that he brings back those great songs, and he gets off of his house party kick. You ain't gotta leave the house to have a good time. I'm gonna bring the good time home to you. I'm pretty sure house party's gonna haunt me for the rest of the year, though. I can't get it out of my head. Thanks so much, Sam. Love the show. Thanks again to Kay, Bobby, and Maureen. Listeners, do you have a culture geist? A thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days or weeks or even years? Share it with us. The more specific you are, the better. Just send us a short voice memo via email to intuit at vulture.com. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, and Jelani Carter. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And if I'm being honest, he should write the score for Cocaine Bear, the sequel. And Hannah Rosen is the head of audio at New York Magazine. All right, listeners, we're back next week, but uh, some special news for you. When we come back next week, we're going to have double the pleasure and double the fun for you Intuit listeners. We're going to twice a week. We'll start publishing on Tuesdays and Fridays. That's right. More of us to love. All right. Till then, be good to yourselves. 